Welcome to the Life Fellowship Ministries International Broadcast. Our mission is to develop, maintain, and model personal intimacy with Jesus Christ. And now, join us for the Life Fellowship Experience. Back in September of last year, uh, Pastor Christina and I were at a, uh, a pastor's and leadership conference. And one of the speakers taught on this topic, and it was so good. It was so good. I'm, I'm like, Lord, I, I want to teach uh, basically the same thing as what we've heard here. But I didn't know when I was going to do that. I just knew that, that this needed to be a, a message that I shared with the Life Fellowship family. And again, this message was for pastors and leaders, but I see all of you as, as leaders and some of you as pastors eventually. And so, you know, God is wanting to do some things in our hearts and lives because we live in a day and age where, man, the, the believers need to rise up, stand up, and not compromise. We need to go out and live this thing out. All right. The goal is for everyone at Life Fellowship to be world changers and spiritual leaders. And as you know, we're impacting millions of lives through this ministry as we give to ministries that are worldwide. And, and as Pastor Christine talked about, in a few weeks we'll have the sunrise service at the Chemo Boardwalk. There will be hundreds of people there. Some of those people are CEOs, Christmas and Easter only. That's the only time they come and hear the message of Christ. And so it's a, a wonderful expression of the love of Jesus to reach out to our community. So I hope that you'll uh, help, out, help us out with that. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back together again. And I think that's where we're seeing our society, the world today. All the king's horses, all the king's men, all the kings, all the governmental systems could not fix Humpty. And we live in a world that is chaotic. I don't have to tell you that. Only Jesus can fix this messed up situation that seems to just be getting worse and worse. The world is unable to fix the broken systems the world has created. Understanding the reasons for a collapsing culture allows us to change our strategies. We can bury our head in the sand and ignore it. Or we can say, Lord God, give me the strategies in my sphere of influence, in my family, in my life to make a difference. 2 Chronicles 15, 3-6. For a long time Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach them, and without the law to instruct them. Verse 4 says, But whenever they were in trouble and turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought Him out, as they looked for Him, they found Him. And we see time after time after time where Israel turned away from God. They began to worship idols and, and pagan gods. And then they would get into a jam. They would be taken captive. They would seek the Lord. They would cry out to God, and God would deliver them. And they'd be okay for a little while, but then they go right back in. They fall right back into that same pattern. 
And I think that's what we're seeing today. People have grown complacent about having the Lord their first priority, about having the Lord in their life. Let's read on in verse 5. During those dark times, it was not safe to travel. Problems troubled the people of every land. Nation fought against nation and city against city for God was troubling them with every kind of problem. Wait a minute. Who was troubling them? God was troubling them. You would think, well, wouldn't it be their enemies troubling them? Well, yeah. Well, was it Satan? It says here that God was allowing, God was troubling them on every side. Consider today's culture and chaos. Is it safe to travel? Sometimes it's not. Think about the, the carjackings that happen. People sitting at a light and somebody jump in your car and throw you out or point a gun at you and steal your car. What about road rage? Just ran, people randomly shooting at people and, and for no reason or little reason shooting one another. I, I saw an article that I think it was in Oakland, California, there was an office building, and the employer was encouraging people not to go out for lunch. Do not leave the building to go to lunch in this area because it's unsafe. There are millions of unvetted people freely crossing our border, distributed all over our nation. There are terrorists that are coming into this nation. There are drug dealers. You, you hear about the fentanyl and all the stuff that's coming into our nation. Sex slavery, which America is a large consumer of. Sex slavery is believed to surpass illegal weapons trade and possibly even the illegal drug trade. Listen, if there wasn't a clientele list, sex, sex slavery wouldn't be so popular. But what an indictment on this nation that we are one of the largest consumers of sex slavery. Here's the problem. Drugs, if somebody wants to buy a crack rock or a bag of weed or some pills or something, that's a one-time sell. The drug dealer says, here, I give you the, these drugs, you give me the money. That's done and over with. What happens with sex slaves? They may service clientele 20 times a day, six days a week for years. So that's a multiple stream of income coming in day after day after day after day, hour after hour after hour, where these people are bringing in tons of money because they keep selling the same product, the same person over and over again. That should break our hearts. Nation fought against nation and city against city, for God was troubling them with every kind of problem. Listen, if God is your problem, you have a much larger problem than who gets elected. Here's a principle of life that we talked about. The physical realm impacts the spiritual realm, and the spiritual realm impacts the physical realm. And I've said that before, and we've talked about this but, you know, sometimes the same message from a different, boy, a, vo a different voice will land differently. So let me say this another way. The visible or the physical, because we can see the physical, 
the visible, the physical, is preceded by the invisible, which is the spiritual. To address problems in the visible or the physical realm, we must address the causes in the invisible spiritual realm that have led to the visible physical realm problems. <laughs> I, I think it's easier said the, the physical realm impacts the spiritual and the spirit. But you get the point. Okay, so if, Houston, we have a problem here in the physical realm. Well, let's look at the spiritual realm to see what's leading to the problem in the physical realm. If you don't get to the root of the issues of the spiritual realm, you will be dealing with the fruit. I thought that would make a good, good rap. What do you think? If you don't deal with the root, you're going to be dealing with the fruit. Okay. But now I want to shift gears a little bit here. I want to talk about the passive wrath of God and the active wrath of God. Neither one of those, whenever you hear, read the, or see the word wrath, W-R-A-T-H, that's never really a good sign. But in the Old Testament, we see the active wrath of God where God would bring judgment on a people, on situations, on a, on a society. Let me give you a couple examples. The flood. So God brought judgment on the people of the earth. And where uh, he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Those are two examples where God destroyed things directly, pronouncing judgments. When the Lord allows us to self-destruct, we are experiencing the passive wrath of God because we have a free will. And God is saying, hey, if you, know, if, if you want to go do that, well, okay. If I choose to go stand in, in the middle of I-45 and get splattered by an 18-wheeler, it's not really the truck's fault. I made that decision to walk out there. The same thing happens with us when we choose to walk away from the Lord. So I've just given a couple of examples of, of the active wrath, and, and so we're talking about the passive wrath. I want to I share a word with you that may not be familiar. It's called devolution. Devolution. Uh, it's the transfer or delegation to a lower level, especially by a central government to a local or regional administration. And so what we're witnessing is the spiritual devolution of our culture, which results in the passive wrath of God. And God is saying, hey, if, if, you wanna, if, if you want to live this lifestyle, if you want to do this, you have free will. With the sacrifice of Jesus, God's posture to the world changed. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, the previous scriptures from what I'm going to read uh, Paul is explaining Christ's sacrifice for us. We know that we're saved by grace through faith when we believe not of our works, right? But let's, let's pick up here for the sake of time in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. This means, talking about what Paul had previously stated in chapter 5 here, he says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. Verse 18, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself 
through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Verse 19, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. No longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So Christ has reconciled, reconciled the world back to himself. That doesn't mean that everyone is saved. That doesn't mean that everyone goes to heaven because you have to go back and see what Paul is talking about. It's based on what Christ has done for us. But God's desire was to reconcile the world back to him. But, but the thing is, it, it comes only through Christ. Go back to verse 18. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him, bringing people to the Lord. One scripture says that we're to say, come back to God. Come back. Come into this relationship. Let me show you what this looks like. Let me help you to find the Lord. Verse 19 again, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So the message of reconciliation is you were born in sin, you were conceived in sin, but you can be free from sin. You can live a life of victory, and you can have eternal life with Christ, but it's only through what Christ has done. So Romans 1, 18 and 19, but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Why is God angry? Because he knows the consequences and the results of sin in people's lives. What is, what is John 10, 10? Jesus, you know the scripture. Jesus said, the thief has come to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come what? That you may have abundant life. And so God is angry when, when the enemy has come to, to steal and kill and destroy. If someone deceives others and suppresses the truth, God is not happy about that. And I think there's sometimes there's a suppression of the truth. Maybe even the church is, well, I, you know, I don't want to really say that. I know the Word of God says this, but if I preach that, then people won't come. And so are we deceiving people by not telling them the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth? Or are we compromising? Because we live in a world where people's lives are hanging in the balance. Their eternal salvation is hanging in the balance and do we care more about what someone may say or think than we do their salvation? Verse 19, they know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. They intentionally, God's talking about people that intentionally suppress the truth while knowing the truth about God. Well, you know, we don't really talk about the Holy Spirit because we don't understand it, and, you know. Why, why wouldn't we talk about the Holy Spirit, the enabler, the, the, the third person of the Trinity of God that empowers us to live with power? <laughs> wow. 
I'm getting excited here. <laughs> they know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. The word says creation testifies of God. We have the Holy Spirit to testify of God. Let's skip down to, in Romans, skip down to uh, verse 24. And I'm just going to kind of read through this because you can take time to go back. It's on the, the uh, YouVersion app. All the notes and scriptures are there, so you can go there. But uh, Romans 1.24. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. God abandoned them. Okay, that's one. And, and then verse 25, I'm not going to read all of it, but uh, they, were, they were worshiping idols. They were worshiping creation instead of the creator. Verse 26, that is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. Just going to summarize verse 27. Men did burn with lust for each other and did shameful things with other men. Okay, let's skip down to verse 28 here. You're getting the idea, right? God is abandoning them because what? Because of what they were doing. This is a, an example of the passive, passive wrath of God. Uh, verse 28. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things they should, that should never be done. And so some versions will say God gave them up or God turned them over. And the NLT says God abandoned them. It's the same thing. You know, different wording, but it's the same thing. Three times we see that God abandoned them when they begin to do these things. Turn away from God. We have a free will to do life without him. Think about a rebellious teen who refuses to follow the rules of the house. And the parent releases them to go out on their own. Son, daughter, these are the rules of the house. And, you know, you can choose to follow the rules or you can go do your own. But are we like a rebellious teen that God allows to go out and live without him? Are we like that with God? The Lord has released us and allowed our country to, and culture to remove him. God says, if you, want, if you don't want me here, I can leave. And we've seen the closer a person, a family, a culture, country are to the Lord, that generally there's more order in, in society. Conversely, the further away from the Lord a person, a family, a culture, country are from the Lord, the, may, the, the more chaotic society will become. And I think that's why we're seeing things ramp up because think about it. People are turning away from God. They're saying, I don't want him. I don't want him in my life. We see the problems politically. We see the problems racially, socially. They exist because God has been kicked out, even though his, his name has been retained. 
Well, we'll use his name, but he's not really here. He's not welcome here. And so the consequences are the devolution of culture, society, civilization, and order in our world. Remember in uh, May 13th of 2020, the Lord gave us this word. The Lord told us the world as we know it will soon come to an end. And part of the, the importance of that, that word is that the Lord was telling me the world as we know it. He's involved in what's happening in our lives because we are what? His prized possession. And I don't think anyone can, can say with any kind of uh, reason that uh, in, in almost four years, the world is the same as it was four years ago. And so four years ago, the Lord was saying, the world as we know it will soon come to an end. And he's been speaking to us, prepare intentionally invest in those people that are hungry, that are genuinely seeking me. So we are experiencing the passive wrath of God. What led to the issues in 2 Chronicles 15 and in our situation now? What are the parallels that were going on thousands of years ago back then and now? Let's go back to 2 Chronicles 15.3. For a long time, Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach them and without the law to instruct them. So my first point this morning is in 2 Chronicles, Israel, and today in America, they, we, have turned away from worshiping the true God. That's our biggest problem. Israel without the true God. You know, so it doesn't say that they didn't have gods. They had gods. They were worshiping false gods. They were worshiping idols. What's an idol? Idol is a noun. It could be a person, place, thing. It can even be a thought because an idol is something you look to as your source. So I'm going to pray to this pole right here because it's my idol. It's, it's my source. People expect an idol to do something for them. In India, they have, what, 40,000 gods? Because you want to pray to this god and that god. You want to pray to this god over here because you don't want him mad at you. You want to offer uh, uh, offerings to these idols, these pagan gods. So people expect an idol to do something for them. For them, okay, well, I'm going to make this sacrifice to this idol for my health or for my protection or for my prosperity or my well-being or my productivity. I, I need my, my crops to grow, so I'm going to offer a sacrifice to this idol, this pagan god. Idols are something people look to as the basis for their dependency. Today, we have American idols. God was not their source, and God is not our source sometimes. Some people do not have God as their source. We have idols in culture that identify themselves as the basis of our identity. Let me say that again. We have idols in culture that identify themselves 
as the basis for our identity. What's my identity in? Well, we have some that make a, uh, an idol out of race. We have some that make politics an idol, where it's more important to be a, a Democrat or a Republican than it is to be a Christian. Some make, a, make wealth an idol, where net worth is greater than self-worth. We have idols that have become the source of our identity as we exclude God. What is our source of identity? It should be in Christ. It's okay to mention God in the invocation and the, in the benediction as long as he's kept out of the middle. We see the extermination of God while using his title. Well, I thank God for this, this award, or I thank God. Okay, so you're using his name and title. Is there any kind of relationship behind that? Is he welcome in your home? Several years ago, um, League City thought that uh, Life Fellowship was in League City, and so they would call me every once in a while, once a quarter or so, and ask me if I would do the invocation at the League City Council meeting until they found out we were actually in Kima, and then they quit calling. I said, sure, yeah. And so uh, one of my neighbors, he was on the city council. He lived two doors down. And the first time I, I was on the agenda, he called me up and he said, Hey, Mark, I see that you're on the agenda to give the invocation at the city council meeting at League City. I said, Yeah, yeah, Mike. He said, Well, uh, just kind of curious, uh, did they ask you not to pray in Jesus' name? I said, No. I thought that was kind of an interesting question. I said, No, I didn't. He's like, Oh, okay, well, just. So I went and I prayed in Jesus' name, prayed for the city, prayed for the leaders. Listen, our, our, our leaders need our prayers. <laughs> and so then it was a few, few weeks later, I guess, uh, Mike was the vice president of the homeowners association where we lived. And he said, hey, uh, uh, I was wondering if you would be interested in giving the invocation at the HOA meeting. I said, well, what day is it? Uh, what, what time, what day? I looked at him, I said, yeah, yeah, I'm open. I can do that. I'd love to do that. He said, well, there's one thing. We, we have to ask you not to pray in the name of Jesus. And I said, well, well Mike, whose name would you like me to pray in? I mean, I can pray in, <laughs> pray in the name of Mark. Not much power there. I can pray in your name, Mike. In the name of Mike. I said, why wouldn't I pray in the name of Jesus who has all authority in heaven and on earth? I said, if I can't pray in the name of Jesus, then I don't pray. Worshiping idols was the pervading sin talked about in Scripture that continually wrecked Israel time after time after time. We need to not compromise on who we're worshiping, who is, is our dependency upon. Is it on our 401K? Is it on our, our employer? Is it on the government? Is it, no, it needs to be on Jesus. Second Chronicles 15.3, For a long time Israel was without the true God. Again, it didn't say they didn't have gods because they did. They were compromising. 
without a priest to teach them and without the law to instruct them. So my, my first point is in Second Chronicles, Israel, and today in America, they, we, have turned away from worshiping the true God. My second point is we have pastors that are failing to teach the Word of God. Now, keep in mind, this message was given to a room of hundreds of pastors and leaders. And it was a relevant message because I think there are pastors that are compromising the Word of God, that are not teaching the Word of God. The church must have leaders committed to the divine truth of the Lord, giving God's perspective on every subject. We need to be providing God's perspective on every subject. If not, it leads the door open for people to pick what they want or to succumb to what the culture is telling them to pick. If we don't know the word, we're, we're in trouble. How are we going to impact the world that's looking to us as a standard if our standard is tainted or compromised? So their problem in Second Chronicles, one, their second problem is the priests stop teaching God's truth. So when you come here on a Sunday morning, when you come to a life group, when you go to children's ministry, when you go to youth, whatever, you're going to be getting the truth. You're going to be getting the word so that we can go out and live this thing out so that we can differentiate the untruth from the truth so that we can live as God has called us to live not as the culture would tell us. If someone comes to me and says, my life is a wreck, what can I do about it? Or generally four things I would, I would say. I'd say, okay, let's identify the issue. What's the issue? Then I would show them what God's word says about that issue. The third thing I would give them practical steps to apply what's God, what God's Word says about the issue. So we identify the issue. We talk about what does God's Word say about this issue. And then we would have practical steps that they can apply God's Word to their situation. And then fourth, I would pray Holy Spirit to help them apply what God's Word says about their issue. That the Lord would bless them in their obedience... God's not going to bless disobedience. And that God would transform their circumstances in their life. If someone came to me and said, my family is a wreck, what do I do? I would identify the issue. I would show them what God's word says about that issue. I would give them practical steps to apply what God's word says about the issue, how to handle that. And I would pray that the Holy Spirit would help them apply God's word to that situation and that the Lord would bless their obedience and transform their circumstances and their life. What if someone came to me and said, my community and my country is a wreck? I would identify the problem. You get the point, right? It would be the same four things. Too many pastors are teaching culture rather than Christ. <laughs> Giving man's word rather than God's word. <clears throat> so one day, 
at the farm at Farmer Jones' farm. The mouse told the chicken, the pig, and the cow, Farmer Jones bought a mouse trap. And the chicken and the pig and the cow said, well, mouse, that's your problem. And so the mouse said, well, I thought you'd want to know. Well, one day, Farmer Jones' wife was out in the barn, and she noticed that there was a poisonous snake caught in the mousetrap. And in her attempt to extricate the snake or kill the snake, she got bit by the snake. Well, Farmer Jones' wife got sick. And so Farmer Jones thought, well, the best thing to do is make her some chicken soup. So he went and got a chicken and made chicken soup. Well, Farmer Jones had a lot to take care of on the farm, so he couldn't just be there with his wife all day long. So he said, well, I've got some friends and family that are coming to take care of, of my wife. The, the, you know, the right thing to do would be to feed them. So I want to feed them breakfast every day, so let's feed them ham and eggs. So he went and got the pig so that they could have bacon and ham. Well, unfortunately, Mrs. Jones, Farmer Jones' wife, died. He's like, well, there's going to be a lot of people here for the funeral and memorial service, and I'm going to have to feed them, so I guess we need to barbecue some brisket and have some steaks on hand. So he went and got the, the cow. Now, the mouse tried to tell them Farmer Jones bought a mouse trap. They didn't seem to care about that. There are repercussions when we ignore the Lord's warnings. The issues get larger and larger until they impact all of society. And if we think it's not happening today, uh, well, maybe we need to wake up. And the Lord has been giving us words. You know, the past five years, God has been speaking to us. Prepare, be ready. The world as we know it will soon come to an end. It has come to an end. Are we, have we grown dull or complacent? Are we blind? Are we ignoring the obvious that the Lord is, is showing us signs? I mean, just look around what's happening. And too many pulpits are sugarcoating God's word. Too many pulpits are compromising by trying to be relevant to the culture, to try to, try to be relevant to the secular media, even to try to be relevant to the education system. And I'm not just talking about the secular education system. Some of the things that are happening, happening in seminary, I was like, what are we teaching in seminary? And these people are going out and pastoring thousands of people and going to these different churches. Oh, they're relevant, okay, to society, but are they preaching the Word of God? We have tremendous opportunity, but we should not be compromising for the safe, sake of culture or society. And we wonder why God's truth is neutralized in our culture. God is not going to skip the church house to fix the White House. We need to get it right in the church. We have the Holy Spirit. 
We have the answers that are found in the Bible. We have resources. We have programs. Yet, we still have all this chaos. Why? Houston, we have a problem. America, we have a problem. World, we have some problems that the culture cannot fix, that only Jesus can fix. And Jesus uses the church as his arms and legs and hands and his mouth to go and speak forth the things that will change the world, that the world is looking for. It seems like the more they try to fix things, the worse it gets. Stop trying to fix it. <laughs> when the church loses biblical authority, then the culture has lost the standard by which it should operate. We, the church, the body of Christ, you and I are supposed to represent the standard that the world looks to. It, it, but you know what? It seems to be turning the other way around. Well, this is what culture's doing, so let's do this in the church. So my first point, Israel and today in America, we've turned away from worshiping the true God. The second point, we have pastors that are failing to teach the word of God. Third, we have lawlessness in the church and in the culture. When there's no law, people make up their own rules. We see that happening today. These uh, flash mobs going in and, and just stealing whatever they can. Free. You know, I just go and take it. There's no repercussions. There's no law. We see people trying to redefine things that God has already defined. Male and female. Go back and read Genesis. He created them, male and female. In God's images, he created them, male and female. But yet we have a culture that's trying to redefine what male and female is. We have a culture that tries to redefine what constitutes marriage. Marriage, one biological man married to one biological woman. But we have a culture that's saying, well, no, let's shift that. Let's change that. Why? God has already defined what those things are. How to address the issues of racism. People are seriously confused. Technically, you're not a black creation or a white creation. You're a child of God's kingdom. My identification is in Christ. I'm a blood-bought son of the Most High God who happens to be a white man. I could be Asian. I could be... Uh, Mexican, I could be black, I could be whatever, but this is who God made me. When I look across this room, I don't see Eileen as a black woman. What? <laughs> you got me on that one. I'll get you, my little pretty. I, I don't see Henry as a white man. I see... I see the body of Christ. I see the children of God. I see my brothers and sisters. I'm not denying that you're black or you're white. But our identity is not based on our race or any of these other things. Our identity is based in Christ. Hmm. Boy, my iPad went crazy here. I almost lost myself on that one. That's 
So the world and culture don't have the solutions. They're looking to us. The body of Christ should be able to come together in unity based on biblical standards to help bring people and the culture back to, into biblical alignment. We need to quit acquiescing to the culture and society, and we need to be the standard. And I'm not talking about getting religious. You know that. I'm not talking about getting legalistic. I'm talking about that we have this relationship with the Lord, and it's reflective in our life. Not just what we say, but what we do and how we respond and how we love people. But how we love people enough to speak honestly into their life. How we have the opportunity to lead people into this intimate, personal relationship. If the church can't come together in unity, the world has no hope. If the standard has been removed and there is no longer a standard, then it's just going to deteriorate into oblivion and into chaos. Let's look at what Jesus said in John 17, 23. He's speaking to the Father here, and he says, I am in them, speaking of believers, I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. God dwells where there is godly unity. When we come together in legitimate godly unity and alignment, God responds. So, what happened in 2 Chronicles chapter 15? The leaders tore down the uh, pagan altars. They re repaired the altar of the Lord. They made a covenant to earnestly seek the Lord God, not pagan gods, and, and worship these idols. I was thinking about this this week, too, and consider they say there are 6 million unvetted illegal entries from all over the world, people coming from all over the world. And I was thinking, what are the ramifications or implications of that? If, if say, 1% of those 6 million people that have crossed the borders had ill intent toward this nation, that would be 60,000 people. If, if half of 1% had ill intent of destroying this nation and, and the people here, that would be 30,000. We need to be praying for the safety, our safety and the safety of this nation because there are people that are coming into our land that, that want to destroy Christianity, that want to destroy this nation, that want to destroy you. Also consider this, on 9-11, 19 men from halfway around the world in the name of Allah brought probably the most powerful nation in the history of mankind to its knees overnight. So we need to be praying for our protection because, again, we have a vested interest. We live here, right? And I, I you know, I... I'm not here to talk about the solutions on how, how we deal with that. I mean, we really don't have any, any control over that. But what we do have control over 
is how we live and we can pray. But what do you think the people of God could do if we stood together in the name of the one true God? If 19 men can disrupt this country on the level that they did, what do you think we could do in this room? We've got more than 19 people in here. Think about what we could do as we come together serving Him, yielding to Him, and allowing Him to work through our lives. The passive wrath of God can be averted when we sincerely turn from our wicked ways and sincerely seek God. When people determine to get serious about their situation, let's read what it says in Second Chronicles 7.14 in the New King James. If... We know that if is conditional, right? If, if my people, who's my people? We are. If my people who are called by my name, we don't just call on the title, but we have a relationship. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, humble themselves. And there's more, pray. And seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. This is God's response. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. So let me ask you three questions. What will you do? The ball is in your court now. Will you invoke the passive wrath of God? Or will you pray and say, Lord God, is there anything in my life that's invoking the, the passive wrath of God in my life, in my family? Or will you sincerely seek Him? It's a choice that we all get to make. Starting right now, today. 